this series. I think it's going to have a big impact on the way we as a congregation view the Christmas season. At least I'm hopeful of that. But before we do that, there's a couple items of business I need to get, get, get out of the way real quick. First of all, did I hear you say that you actually ordered the phrase in your bulletin on page 15? Did you say that? Okay, from here on, it's not a bulletin. It's a booklet. So when we talk about announcement, in your booklet, turn to page... Okay, I just, 15 pages, that's, that's quite a bulletin. Very impressive. Um, last week I mentioned a couple things about how the college football season had really discouraged my Thanksgiving heart, right? And uh, I might have offended uh, some people when I said the Catholics and the Gators won. My, offend, my, my, op, my motive was not to offend Catholics, it was to, to offend Gators. So I just want to make sure if I offended you, I apologize to those of you that were offended by the Catholic remark, for those of you that were offended by the Gator remark, I don't care. I, I really, I don't care. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about the Advent effect. The first week, we see we have a box here. Every week we'll have a new box that represents what it is we're discussing. This week I want to talk about reflection and how the Advent changes our focus from self-focused to Christ-centered. Okay, but before we do that, I want to make sure you understand what Advent means. There's a there's a couple of words I want to teach you really quick. First of all, uh, the word veni means to come. Okay, that's what the word veni means. So say there's intervene, veni, interveni means to come between, intervene, right? We see contravene means to come against. Um, convene means to come together, right? Advene, where the word Advent comes from means to come toward. And so what I want to make sure you understand is the whole idea of the word Advent means that God comes toward. It's a passive move on our part and an active, very aggressive move on God's part. Advenient grace is what we're going to be talking about for the next five sermons, uh, four Sundays and, and Christmas Eve. Advenient grace. It's a very fancy word. Basically, it's grace that comes toward us. Why? Because God basically said we have a sin problem. And the answer is him coming in the form of man, flesh and blood to fix it. It was basically God saying, I guess I got to go down there myself and straighten this out. So in light of this, right, we can see that the Christian faith not just Christmas, but what the Advent teaches us about the Christian faith is that it is not a product of our imagination. It's not some whimsical religious system that we thought up. But it's simply a reasonable intellectual response to the saving activity of God. That's what Advent is. Advent gives us an opportunity for a reasonable intellectual response to the saving activity of God. Advenient grace, Advent to come toward. That's what we're discussing. Like I said, the first week is reflection. And Mary, first of all, I want you to understand that Mary was prophesied in Isaiah years before she was even born. When the prophet said, you're going to be, you know, he will come forward, be born of a virgin. So Mary has a mention early in the scripture. So this wasn't something just came out of nowhere. This was actually prophesied years and years before. And we have that perspective. I really want to focus on what the advent did to Mary. You know, we have this thought in our head that Christmas is joyful and glad. And everybody is merry. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Eggnog. 
non-alcoholic, of course. Or maybe not, I don't know, depending on who you are. But, hey, you know, so this Christmas idea, I want to try to change our whole thought. I want to shake up how we're looking at this season. And sometimes we look forward to it because you have the nice Christmas songs. You have the nice, you know, decorations and, and the food and the, and, the, and the cookies. My Lord, the cookies, right? There's so many of them. So all those things. But in reality, Christmas, the first advent, was very troubling. I'm just going to read you a passage, so, and, we'll, and we'll refer to it later. But here it says, it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God in a city of Galilee, named, named Nazareth, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High God. And the Lord will give to him the throne of David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And in his kingdom there will be no end. So, right? So, it's at night. She's at home by herself. She's not married yet. And an angel appears. And you're blessed. And she's afraid. And so the angel follows up, don't be afraid, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have a child, as a virgin, and he's going to be God. Good luck, Mary. Do a good job. (laughs) Enjoy that. Isn't that great? Don't be afraid. You're going to give birth to God. Be a good mom. Don't mess this up. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is in the sixth month with her who once was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town of Judah. And she entered in to the house of Zechariah, basically Elizabeth's husband. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why, it, and why is the, this granted to me, that the mother of the Lord should come to my house? For behold... When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. That's amazing, isn't it? Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then what Mary does is amazing. She writes a song. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from him now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich, he has sent them away. He has helped his servant Israel in embrace of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Reminder, she's probably 14. Does that sound like a a song of praise that a 14-year-old would write? So with that in mind, let's look at a couple things. What was life like? What was the world like? Look at Mary's pre-advent condition, right? First of all, you understand she was Jewish. There's a lot of religious things around her, right? There's a lot of cultural demands from a Jewish young woman, especially one who was betrothed to be married to a man. She lived in the country. She was not a rich person. She didn't live in Jerusalem. She lived in a very small town. Matter of fact, some people said, how could anything good come from Nazareth? She was a woman. Do you understand? This means that, that you know, it wasn't like today. Women didn't have the same place in society as men did. She was young. Not only was she a woman, but she was a young woman. So she even had less impact in society. She's a virgin. Everybody knows this. She's betrothed to Joseph. So you have to understand there's a lot of expectations on her. And what was Mary's world like? First of all, do you understand the spiritual world that she's in? There's this idea of what she's supposed to be and how she's supposed to act and how she's supposed to live and what she's supposed to do. There's all these burdens on her. But yet she was a special girl. Clearly she had a special relationship with God from the day she was born. But look at the political world. You understand what's going on in the world at this time? The Roman Empire is oppressing in many ways the Jewish people. The Roman Empire has brought Israel under its reign. It is in charge. And the Jews all over are looking for the Messiah, not the Messiah to die on the cross, but the Messiah to whip up their armies, to be a great general, to be a great leader, and whip the Romans' tail. They're looking for someone to come along and restore the glory of the throne of David and Solomon. And all those great days, because they believe that is their destiny. And their destiny is to become the center of the world. Just like Solomon was. That's the reality of the spiritual and political world that Mary is in. So do you understand here, she was away from home. When we first pick up this story, she's away from home. She gets this story in her house about going to become pregnant, you know, and and it's going to be by the Spirit of God. You're going to have God as a baby. Be a good mom. Don't mess it up. And all these things are going to happen. It's going to have a big impact. And she hears about this. And then he says, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, she was barren. She's also having a baby. And so for some reason, God creates this connection, right? And so she goes out of town, away from home. She didn't know exactly what would await her return, does she? I mean, what's going to happen when she returns and she's pregnant? What about her reputation? 
Not to mention the concern for the fact that she's poor and she's pregnant. Not, a, not a, probably a lot of good medical care for her. In that day, she'd be considered a harlot. You know what they did to harlots? They would take her out of the city, out into the city center, strip her, put her in rags as clothes, beat her, mock her, call her whore, spit on her, and leave her there as an example for all the other women to know, don't be like that. What about her family? Would they reject her? Or believe that God was using her? What about the pressure of being the mother of God? That in itself for a junior high girl is probably pretty overwhelming, don't you think? So that's the reality of what Mary is facing. So do you understand, as we think about Christmas, we have a backward-looking perspective and we can be joyful and glad. But this Advent did not start very assuring for Mary. A lot of questions. So what did God do? First, he sent an angel. Amazing. Sends an angel to Mary. Causes Mary to conceive a son. Creates a special relationship with Elizabeth, who would give birth later to John the baptizer. So we have this special relationship developing. And then he moves Simeon and Anna to prophesy. Now, this is what this is. This part of the story becomes amazing. I'm going to read this passage to you. Okay, this is pretty pretty wild. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for what? For Israel to be restored. Right? There's a there's a political, there's a military, there's a social expectation about Israel being restored as the, as greatness, the center of the world. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents had brought this child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the religious law, he took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, listen, this, these are young parents. They're coming. He lifts up the baby. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the, fa- for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and the sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of a leader of the tribe of Asher. And she, and she was advanced in years having lived with her husband. And now she was a widow, 84 years old. And she was always in the temple every day, fasting and praying day and night. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, or speak of him to all those who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So you see the perspective here. There's these people prophesying, they, these young people, they don't know who Jesus is, right? They bring this baby and these two people see all of a sudden they realize this is the one God's been telling us about. 
Can you imagine the impact the advent is having on first Mary and then Joseph? So how did the advent change everything for Mary? See, this caused her to engage in intense and at first disturbing reflection, I'm sure, about everything she thought her life was going to be. It was all changing. At first, she was a young betrothed virgin, waiting and preparing for her marriage. Now, all of a sudden, she's the mother of the Son of God, risking everything, And everything she thought her life was going to be was being transformed. Stressful. First, she was troubled and confused. That's what the scripture says. Troubled and confused. What do you mean by this blessing? But here's what's amazing for this junior high girl. In the midst of her stress, in the midst of her trouble, in the midst of her confusion, in the midst of the fear. By the way, an angel appearing, right? She becomes humble and willing. And she trusted God that he was going to do what he said. And then she praised God for what he was doing. And the scripture says she became a special object of God's blessing. And then the scripture says she reflected and focused on these events often. So before... The Spirit of God came before Gabriel came. She was reflecting and focusing on her marriage. After Gabriel, after the Spirit of God, she was reflecting and focusing on who? Christ. In her womb. Her focus completely changed. Why? Because she had a powerful, disturbing interaction with the Spirit of God. She could have said, why is God punishing me? But instead she said, whatever God wants. Jesus is my main focus now. Not Joseph, not my family, not the concern about my reputation. None of that matters. My focus is now Jesus. She's in a season of her life where she has a lot she could be worrying about. But rather than worrying, we find her worshiping. Rather than worrying about all the things, is Joseph going to reject me? Am I going to be stoned? Am I going to be cast out? Is my family going to believe what's going on? Will there be complications in this pregnancy? I don't have any money. What am I going to, instead of all of that, she worships. She worships in a situation that is very uncomfortable. Not in an air conditioned auditorium with comfortable seats and a good praise band. So what's the application? How does the advent, particularly this idea of reflection, change everything for us? Maybe sort of like Mary, God is bringing Christ into your life unexpectedly today, dramatically, in a huge way. Maybe at this very moment. First, it changes what our plans were before Christ came into our lives. 
Trust me, if you had good, well-laid-out plans, once God gets a hold of you, those all take a back seat. Well, God might still allow them to come to be, but it's the secondary focus, is it not? Your plans are no longer your central reflection. Your reflection, once you have a real, genuine interaction with the Spirit of God like Mary did, it's disruptive, it's disturbing, it's powerful, and it takes your focus away from what you thought was important and makes you realize, whoa, I've got new things to think about. This is also a great example of how God brings Christ into our lives. Just like we have the picture of the Holy Spirit conceiving and giving life to Mary, or life inside of Mary, through, you know, to Jesus, that's exactly how the Holy Spirit gives us life spiritually. The scripture says in Ephesians, we were dead, and the Spirit comes in and He quickens us and makes us alive. Just like he did Jesus in the womb of Mary, that's how the Spirit of God interacts with us, the same exact way. In essence, if you think about it, you've heard the phrase many times, born again. Whenever God saves one of his children, it's a virgin birth. Do you see that? Do you see how the Spirit of God brings life in both situations? The Scripture says the Spirit of God quickens us, makes us alive. And then when he does that, he disrupts our purpose. But in the middle of the disruption, in the middle of the stress, in the middle of the turmoil, when God comes in and you recognize, whoa, there are things in my life that don't line up to my new focus, my new reflection, the new things that I see, the new values that I have, the new things that are important, these things don't line up anymore. My purpose that I thought I had before Christ has been disrupted. And it can be disturbing, can it not? It can be uncomfortable. It can be painful. It can be perplexing. We can even fight it. But in the midst of that, if you've had a true interaction, if God, just like he did with Mary, comes in an unexpected, sudden, disruptive way, he enables you to worship. You see, Mary could have Wish that she could have said, no, God, go find someone else. I appreciate you thinking about me, but I had a pretty easy life laid out. I'd rather stick with that. No, you know what happened? When God came to her, here's what she said to her in her, in her thoughts, right? Well, this is not going to be easy. Matter of fact, the prophet said, there'll be a sword go through your soul as well. Prophesying perhaps the death of her son. This is not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of people asking a lot of questions. There are going to be a lot of things that people say about me. It's going to be hard to explain how I'm pregnant and still a virgin. And then Joseph, I mean, all these things. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it. I'm going to praise God for the privilege. I don't care. The comfort is gone. I embrace the disruption. I embrace the hardship. I embrace those things because that is now my focus. Christ alone. When grace comes forward, Advent, Advene, when grace comes forward, it should be disruptive and miraculous. I'm trying to elevate your expectation 
of what God does in your life. And I'm also trying to make you evaluate whether or not he has done it yet. Your faith is not supposed to be just all roses and Christmas trees and Christmas carols. If it hasn't caused a disruption in your life, it's not faith. It's religion. When grace comes forward, it disrupts, but it's miraculous and it produces worship. That's the first effect of the Advent. 